0: Recorded live. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon. Good evening to the Wholesale Sourcing Experts Podcast. This is Charlene Anderson, and today we are going to talk about how to convince wholesalers to sell to you. Um, It's a really exciting topic, and it's something I learned a lot about in my last trade show. So let's just dive in and get started. Um, I've been to a lot of trade shows in my life, you know, more than I can count. And I always seem to learn something at each one. But this one especially, I learned some things that I think will really, really be helpful. So I'm going to just dive right in and get started. Um, I went to this trade show with some goals in mind. Um, because I had checked the list of vendors who were going to be there, I had four specific vendors that I wanted to get their products. Um, a couple of them are, were our distributors, so they sell lines from several different crafty companies. Um, and a couple were man- manufacturers. They've been making the product themselves for a long time. Um, so I had these four in mind, in addition to any other cool stuff I found. So um, day one, I, we started off, um, with this crazy thing called a quest at the show. And what it is, is is it's like a scavenger hunt. They give you a list of things to get from a certain number of booths. Um, I think there was like 40 of them on the list, and you had to get 25 of them. And um, then if you got all 25, you are entered into a drawing to win airfare and hotel for the next trade show, which is a pretty substantial prize. So I figured it was definitely worth doing to see if I could you know, win, win a prize for the next show so I don't have to pay for it, considering the next show is going to be in Washington, D.C., where hotels are double plus what they were in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I've already looked into those prices, and it's going to be an expensive show, but I really think I'm going to go anyway because this one was so valuable. So, so we did this quest. I was there with a girlfriend of mine who's been to many trade shows with me, um, she's a really in, a textile person, so she's into spinning and weaving and knitting and, and all of that. And she's another set of eyes to look at products um, for me. So, so she and I did this quest, which means we had to hit every aisle in the show to find all these people. And they, they sneakily didn't even put their booth numbers on the scavenger hunt list. They just put their name and the product that you had to get from them. And then you had to have them initial the form to show that you actually did get there. So having two people really, really helped because one of us had the list and then I had the trade show app open on my phone which had an alphabetical list of the vendors and their booth numbers so we could do that. Um, And we did get all, we got 25 of the things and we stopped at 25 um, because we wanted to spend time actually buying stuff. So fingers crossed that, that I went a trip to the trade show in Washington next summer um, it would be a, a fine because that would be more money to spend on products. So, so that was the first part. So that gave us kind of a layout of the show and it familiarized us with who was there and everything. So um, we decided to start, the show was pretty much two halves, half of it or two, a third and two thirds. Two thirds of it was knitting, spinning, weaving, crochet, those kinds of needle arts. And then the other third was needlepoint cross-stitch and odds and ends um, kind of thing. And while it wasn't purely divided up that way, you could say the vast majority of the um, the show was laid out that way. So we knew the two-thirds booths on the left were the knitting ones, and that was our priority. Um, So we started just at the far back wall of the show and um, walked each aisle. That was the introduction to seeing where everything was laid out, seeing what companies were there, and figuring out a plan of attack. So I had already set up appointments with a couple um, of these vendors I really wanted to contact. So I knew those were taken care of. Two of them I had appointments with. Two of them I didn't because they didn't set up appointments. So um, that's hint number one even if a vendor doesn't send out an email soliciting appointments to see their products, uh, next time I will be contacting them ahead and setting up an appointment myself. Um, Because it it saved a lot of time, those booths we had appointments with. So it meant that you didn't walk up to a booth and had to stand around and wait until the person or the people, some of the booths had several salespeople on them until they got done with whoever they were working on. If you have an appointment, you know you can be there at X time and have the undivided attention of the person who you need to talk to. So that's hint number one for you guys. Make appointments for those booths that are really a priority for you. Um, some vendors will send out a call for appointments saying, we're going to be at XYZ Show. Um, if you'd like an appointment, let us know. Um, if they don't, just send them an email and say, hey, I'm really interested in you. Can we make an appointment and set something up? So, so we're walking down the aisles. Um, and this was an interesting show in that we ran into a lot of people we knew from other textile events, other conferences, from teaching classes, from all that kind of stuff. So that was really nice. I got to see people that I haven't seen in a long, long time. So the first aisle started out with a lot of new vendors and a lot of very small vendors, um, which I really like. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of them sold only yarn. That was their only product. And I don't want to say unfortunately, maybe unfortunately for me, because I've made a conscious decision that I'm not going to sell yarn on Amazon. Um, Those of you who knit or crochet know that um, dye lots are a big issue, and that can't be managed with Amazon. So no direct yarn sales for me. so the booths that had nothing but yarn, if it wasn't yarn I was interested in for my personal use or a new yarn that I think I should know about so I could just be more educated in the whole community, we kind of passed those by. And there was interesting. There were several vendors that were obviously um, from China who um, came with, um, I want to say run-of-the-mill yarns, but yeah, run-of-the-mill yarns. Um, the kind of yarns you'd find in Walmart or um, stores like that, not the, the fancy yarns you'd find in standalone yarn shops. Um, several of those um, looking to expand, um, kind of like trying to, to take on Lion Brand and most companies who have a, a strong foothold in the Michaels and Joann's kind of market. Um, so those we just kind of st- skipped by because that really, there was no interest. I wouldn't learn anything from listening to the pitch um, because it's not a new kind of product to the market and I wasn't interested in personally. So we skip by those. Um, We did find um, a lot of interesting new gadgets for want of a better word and that's the stuff I love to sell. So that was um, lesson number two. I walked by a booth three times because they were right in the path of of the restrooms and, and all that kind of stuff. Before I stopped in, um, because it was a, it was boring looking. Um, all they had, these booths are ten by ten, and all they had was a table in the back and a few signs call, with their name. And their name didn't say anything about what they sold. It was called X Y Z Nips, you know. And I'm like, okay. So I did finally go in. They had two really cool new products at. A good price point, they'll retail for 30 to $50, and they fit the small light thing. They are, they'll fit it they're in a box that's like 5 inches by 5 inches, and it weighs like 6 ounces. Perfect. So lesson number two, don't walk by a booth just because it doesn't look exciting or interesting or because there's not a ton of people in it. Um, if, if I had gone by that, I would have like, kicked myself because it, it's a cool product. Um, I thought it was neat because it would, it would um, help with my knitting. And my friend who was with me thought the same thing. And she is not a gadget person like I am. I like also any gadgets, any tools, all that kind of stuff. And she's not a gadget person, but she wanted one for herself too. So, um, so that was a good sign that she was willing to fork over money for it when she's not a gadget person. So um, lesson, that lesson, don't walk by a booth just because it doesn't look exciting. Because remember, we're looking for small things that, that can sell for a decent price. And if this, this merchant only has one item and it's a small thing, it was in four different colors, um, she's not going to need a ton of booth space. Filling it up with junk wouldn't serve any purpose. So, so if, if you go to a trade show, um, be aware of that kind of prejudice and don't let it stop you. Um, have a look anyway. If you're in doubt, I would say have a look because it will take 30 seconds to look and see if um, if it's a product that is viable or not. So as we're walking down the aisles, um, finding products, um, some of it is tools, some of it is um, spinning fibers, meaning the raw materials for spinning silk from cocoons or spinning um, wool from fleece and all of that. And that I do carry because. It's a different kettle of fish than knitting. People buy it, usually buy the 4-ounce, 8-ounce, or 1-pound lots of it. And so that's, that's kind of easier to manage than a yarn that has, you know, the red yarn has can have 50 different dye lots. So, so I made some purchases at some of these spinning fibers. And some of them were companies that I'd known from being a consumer in the spinning fiber world. Um, one of them was a woman I hadn't seen in like 15 years um, maybe even longer when we were on the board of directors together of the Handweavers Guild of America. I was president and she was vice president. And when we left the board, I hadn't seen her in that long. And there she was in her booth and we recognized each other, which is kind of a nice thing. So, um, so as we proceeded down, we kept an eye on a couple things. And this, this may be um, something that is distinctive to the craft trade show market because it didn't happen quite as much when I was like at the outdoor retailer show, or even the gem and jewelry show. But any of you know who are into it know that there are tons of books coming out in, on crafting. All of the time, there's always new labels. Well, a lot of these publishers go to trade shows to promote the new, the new titles coming out. And in this case, there were four big, big publishers that were there. Um, and – they have book signings with the authors there, and they give away copies of their books. So we went to the, each of the booths of the um, publishers, and we got a list of when the book signings were, and we put it in my phone, or I put it in my phone, with alarms to tell us when we needed to go get in line at these book signings. Um, because books are expensive, you know, a decent craft book is twenty dollars plus. You know, a knitting pattern book can be twenty or thirty dollars. And I thought, you know, my Olympic motto: get it free and get more of it. Um, and um, one of the vendors, um, who is a book distributor, so they carry titles from every craft publisher and cooking and woodworking and all that stuff. Um, they had a deal where the people who have ordered from them got a packet of tickets for every book signing and they had like six signings a day over three days, so like 18 books. Um and I did not know this. And i am on the mailing list of this company, but I don't order books from them because I don't sell many books. You know, Amazon's pretty much got that tied up. So I heard her talking to somebody and this is my my lesson that I try to teach about eavesdropping on things that are going on. I heard her say Well, if you place an order with us, you automatically get this packet of tickets where that means you're guaranteed a book. You just have to be there at that time. So I'm thinking, okay. I asked her, what's your minimum opening order? And she said, one book. Duh. Okay. What would you guys do if that happened, right? I ordered one book immediately so I could get the packet of tickets. Um, And then as the show went on, we kept adding and adding to our order um, some for resale that Amazon's not on, some ex- obscure titles and all of that. So, um, so what we did was um, get the yeah Elizabeth you'd be ordering a book yeah exactly we ended up ordering like a dozen um, but we got the the packet of tickets and so we knew we could be guaranteed all those author signed freebie books and put that in the um, I set in a uh, timer to go off in my iPhone to alert us when each of them were starting. So one of us could go over and get the the signed books. And I ended up having to buy a box at um, uh, the business center at the hotel, uh, a 14 by 14 by 14 box to put the books in to send home. Um, That's how many books we ended up getting, Um, all for a little time and a, a little effort. And now apparently from now on since I've ordered books from her. We'll be on the list to get those tickets for the um the book signings at future shows. Um she's at the Craft and Hobby Show and at TNNA, the one I was just at and and lots of other shows. So so that was a cool one and I did add a couple books to um my inventory because Amazon's not on them. So that's another thing is looks for whatever um freebies you can get. You know, there's there's some value to freebies. Um, in one way or another, and um, a couple of these books I won't keep for myself, but I'll sell them on Amazon as a collectible because they're signed by the author. And I made sure when the author signed the ones I wasn't really interested in that they weren't personalized at all. You know, it'll say like like happy crocheting of these baby sweaters or something, Susie Smith, instead of having a name. So, so you know, it's a way to turn some time into something positive too. So we, we managed all those things had that in the phone for alarms, had the appointments with vendors um, in the phone for alarms so we didn't miss anything. And we had classes to go to and all that. So it was kind of a um, juggling act to, um, to get everything done at the right time. And we missed a few things, you know, but nothing of import. You know? um, if I got busy talking with a vendor... I'm not going to leave to go get a book. You know, there's a a priority you have to kind of set. So so, um, as we're shopping along and finding these cool things, um, I hit the first of the four vendors I really, really wanted um, to get. And they are a distributor who sells a huge variety of products, you know, tens of thousands of SKUs in every part of the crafting world. And a vast majority of it is too low a price um, for me to fool with, but some of it is not. And some of it was stuff I really, really wanted to sell. Um, and I had contacted them previously um, through their website about opening up you know, a wholesale account. They have a, a whole thing that says, um, you know, contact us to open a wholesale account. I did, and they said absolutely not to online retailers. They're okay if you are a yarn store or a needlepoint shop and also sell online, but they want a brick-and-mortar store first. And that was a recurring theme throughout the show. Um, in the craft field, there is a lot of pushback from people who, who are called local yarn shop owners. You know, They have a brick-and-mortar yarn shop, and they call them LYS, local yarn shop, um, because those people do... A lot that an online seller can't do. Major thing is they have classes and teach people how to do the craft, which gets more people into it. And they are, they hate online sellers. I have to say they hate us. We're like the evil evil person who is ruining their business. Um, and I ran into that a couple times from other shop owners at events, um, but I'll talk about that a little more. So. I went to this company who's absolutely not, no, no online sellers. And I said, you know, I'm going to spend some time and talk to him and feel out why. And at least I've got a face-to-face no if it's another no. So, so I um, found one of the sales reps that was there, and she took when I said online store, you could see, you know, steam coming out of the ears and all of that. Um, And uh, she took me over to a guy who was the owner of the company. You know, his name is the, the name in XYZ Distributing. He's the XYZ. Um, so we got to talking, and I said, I'm online only because of my physical location. You know, just it just, the numbers won't work here. There's not enough people, et cetera, et cetera. And I talked a lot about how there are many, many communities in the U.S. covering millions of people who are in the same boat. Well, there's, because of where they live, there's no local store, so they order online. It used to be they ordered from a paper catalog and had to call in the order or even earlier mail it in um, with a check, but times have changed and these people who live in Nowheresville are ordering online. And he says, yeah, I get it, but I don't want to piss off, and he did say piss off, um, the local yarn shops. If I start selling to online retailers, and you know, I kept I kept telling him that, um, you know, not everybody has access to a local yarn shop, so you're cutting out a huge swath of the market. And his reply was, "Well, I want to support the local yarn shops that I have as customers because so many of them are going out of business." And I'm like, "Yeah, because." That's what happens, you know, somebody loves to knit and they decide to open a yarn shop. So he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support them because I want to keep them going. I said, well, what happens if they all go out of business anyway and you don't have any online retailers selling your stuff? What are you going to do? And that kind of like, you could see that kind of like, said to him, whoa, what? He's, you know, and he's like, he kind of thought about it, I think, but it didn't budge him. He goes, yeah, that's probably true, but, you know, when, when the butt comes out, that means, um, no, that's not going to happen. So um, he did say something that, I went, that went ding, ding, ding in my head, and he says, we do sell to online sellers who are kit makers, meaning they'll put together a yarn, needles, and a pattern, or even just yarn and a pattern, um, or some other combination, as we call in Amazon world, bundles. Um, Yeah, exactly, Angie, you got – he said, um, we do sell to those people because that doesn't seem to uh, annoy local yarn shop owners because they don't combine things like that. So I said to him, what if I guarantee to you that I won't sell individual products, but they, they will be one or more of your products or one of your products with somebody else's products. Now remember, he has tens of thousands of SKUs put together in a unique way. And he looked at me and he says, that may work. I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So um, kind of precisely what I would have done anyway, you know, but in kind of a roundabout way. So he didn't totally say yes. He says, that may work. And he says, give me your card. I'll call you at the end of the week. So we're getting close to the end of the week. If he doesn't call me tomorrow, I will send him an email. So that one that wasn't a flat out no or a flat out yes, but it was better than nothing. So Angie, you got in the door with a supplier for the exact same reason. Yeah. So you know we look at us on Amazon as this bundle thing, something that nobody thinks of, but it can be used as a way to get your foot in the door. So who knows if I start at least getting an account open and making a few bundles with his things that I can sell he may, somewhere down the line, say, okay, you don't have to bundle things anymore. And I'm figuring I could sit here in a day and write a couple articles that can go with these things, you know, um, that can help put them together. Or I can put, if it's a set of, full set of knitting needles, I can put, you know, stitch markers and point protectors with it, to make, you know, which are cheap compared to a whole set of knitting needles to make a unique bundle so I can get into those brands that he, he is the distributor for. So that was another lesson learned that that don't keep the whole bundle idea close to your chest. You know, It may be a way to get in the door. So that's another lesson I learned that I hadn't used before, but I certainly will from now on. So yay for that one. So at least I'm partway in for him. So we go down the aisle, and at the end of that aisle was the number two company I wanted to get. Um, they are also a distributor, and they distribute tons of yarns but they distribute a particular brand of knitting needle that is my favorite needle to knit with and they are the only people who distribute it you can't go to somewhere else you can't go to the company in germany who makes them because they only sell through this company so this was like i gotta get them because they're they're small light and expensive one circular knitting needle sells for 15 to 18 dollars retail you know that's great you know, I could do lots of those. You can get hundreds of those in a little box. And then they have whole sets that sell from 125 to $200. So, so I really wanted them. So I found a sales rep and I said to her, you know, I and this company I had applied for also. And they said no to online sales. No, 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 no. Um, and so I said, well, I'm going to try again. So I went up to her and I said, you know, I applied for an account with you folks about a year ago, but I was flat out told um, no online sales. And she looked at me, and this was the weirdest thing. She says, were you treated really rudely? And I said, yes. And she says, I thought so. So what does that say to you guys? Like maybe they had an employee that wasn't doing what, they should have done, and was just blowing people off, and in not a nice way, because that was a really weird question to ask. And she says, and then she got very apologetic, and she says, "I'm really sorry that someone at this company has treated you rudely. There is no excuse for that, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So I'm thinking maybe there might have been an issue somewhere down the road. Um, so, um, so she says, "Let me take you over to. I think his name was Rob." He is our new accounts person here. So I sat down with Rob and I said, I'll be right up front, Rob. I'm an online only seller. I didn't say the A word or the E word as in Amazon or eBay. I just said I'm online only. Because their needles, a lot of people are selling them online. Very few of them are SBA, but they are on on Amazon. There's lots of them. Um, So I thought, okay, there's lots of them. They obviously are okay with them selling on it. I'm not going to say the A word unless it's necessary. So I said, honest, I'm an online only store. I tried to get an account a year ago. Was told no. Um, and he says, he said to me also, were you treated rudely? And I'm like, okay, there is an issue there. And he apologized for it again. And he says, let's get you set up. And first I sat, I said, what's your minimum opening order? Um, because it's a big company with. This is, you know, one of the probably three big players in the knitting crochet side of the craft world. And he goes, $250. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I could do that in like three sets of needles. Um, so, yeah, so we, he got the details out of the way and, um, you know, filled out little form. I had my tax ID in Evernote on my phone, so I was able to email it to him right there. So he had a copy of it. And um, then he picked up his order form, and we walked over to the knitting needle section of their booth. They had a huge booth. It was probably 10 booths put together. And we just went through, and I placed an order. Um, and that was it. Done, done, and done. So I now have that line of needles, which makes me very, very happy. I have an account with them for any future stuff that comes out. They have some, some kits and things that might be viable possibilities. So I said, yay. And then that, check that one off. That was pretty easy. And we're still in the first morning here, so um so take a lunch break and all that and start again. And then I have an appointment with the third of this four that I wanted to get. And this was a company that I had dealt with back in the 80s and 90s when I had a brick-and-mortar store in Hawaii. And it's also it's owned by a guy and his wife, and it's a big player in the spinning and weaving sector. They're They're one of the top three again. I would say they probably are the top player in the field. Um, And I have known this woman kind of, you know, at events and conferences and things like that and seen her enough to say hi. And she obviously knew my name. And when I asked for the appointment with them, um, they they were quite foolish in sending me a time as a reply to someone else's email who had obviously done their homework on me and it said some not-so-nice things, like like she had an account with us you know, 20 years ago, but I don't think she's doing anything worthwhile anymore. And that was on the email that they, you know, how you forward email. That was on the bottom of the email I got. I said, oh, boy, this is not going to be good. So, so I had the appointment with her. I got there. At, I, had, I had double-checked all these times, and it said 1130. And um, I got there at like 1129, because I am never late. And she says, our appointment was at 10.30. And I go, oh great, what a way to start this off. you know, Um, Time zone mix up. But anyway, I looked back and it still said 11.30. And I assume when you make an appointment, you make it for the local time at the place you are, um, not what your personal time zone is at home. You make it for where the trade show is that time of the trade show. So anyway, so I got to talking with her, and she knew I was Amazon only. got to talking, talking, talking. You know, Her big thing was, was two. It was the local yarn shop thing. She doesn't want to annoy her local yarn shops. And the other one is she didn't want to devalue her brand, which I totally get because if you spent, the company's about 40 years old. You spent all that time building a brand. You don't need it cheap in, on Amazon. And she made the point that somewhere someone is getting one of their little handheld weaving looms, not someone but a lot of people, getting their handheld weaving looms and selling them on Amazon at, at ridiculously cheap prices. And they have map pricing in place, but they, they say these people come and go and they can't figure out you know, how to deal with them. And I said, you know, if you take me on as a vendor, I can help you deal with them. I said, the first place is Amazon Brand Registry, so you prove that you own the brand and that you can, you can start dealing with them that way. And so she, she wrote, she got her phone, and she wrote down Amazon grand. She said, you take me on, I'll help you set it up. I said, I have another vendor who is a big player in the jewelry making field, and I helped them set it up. And it has helped get rid of a lot of these people already. And so then, so we get into the whole thing about, you know, my song and dance about I totally enforce that pricing, all that kind of stuff. Um, She's still, she's always been a standoffish kind of person. She's not the typical person in the yarn business who happens to be, no pun intended, warm and fuzzy, you know? She's she's a cool character. Um, Like I said, I've known her for 30 years at least. Um, And none of the talk was getting anywhere. It all comes back to the local yarn store and protecting her brand, you know? And, um, and a little bit of the education part of it. She says, well, if you're just selling on Amazon, your customers, customers can't contact you. And, you know, I went through the whole process about how, yes, they can. My store is like a store within Amazon where, you know, they see my products under my name and they can contact me. They can ask questions. They can get help. I'm more than willing to support them and all of this. So so song and dance, this Talk lasted about a half hour, which is really, really long in the whole scheme of the trade show world. Um, And I could tell she wasn't going for it. You know, she didn't come out and flat out say no. So I said, Jane, I said, do me a favor. I said, think about it. I said, I have money to spend here at the show, budgeted for you guys. I said, so I'd appreciate it if you'd let me know, like before the show is over, so I can go spend it somewhere else if you don't want me to spend it with you. and she said, okay, and this was on the very first morning of the first day. Um, I didn't hear anything the second day. And the third day um, I was in a class and I had my phone turned, you know, the ringer turned off, but I saw a call came in and it, was a vo- it got a voicemail from her and she said, "No, nope. nope, we're not going to sell to online-only sellers um, no matter what. So, you know, and there, there was no arguing with that. It was flat out no. It wasn't if you do this or that or we could talk again. It was just flat out no. So, you know, so she's going to now have to deal with repercussions of people on this really hot little handheld loom that it's been around a couple of years, but it's still a really hot product. Um, My guess is some of these are probably knockoffs from China that are being sold under their brand name and all that. And, you know, I offered to help solve that issue, and she wasn't willing to bend it all to the online thing to get the help to solve the knockoffs. So, you know, if if she gets inundated with knockoffs from China like the Rainbow Loom people did, well, then, you know, it's her issue to solve. So um, I just have to write that one up. It isn't going to happen. So um, we went and got a glass of wine and said, we'll, we'll start over now. You know, that one's out of the door We'll have lunch and a glass of wine and move on, so we did and found a lot of interesting stuff um some of it from you know vendors that you would not expect to find anything at um, One item was from a, a guy from the Seattle area who sells mugs and bowls and um let's see little like miniature little plates but like a count um um the stuff you put a teabag in kind of thing, except knitters would put like stitch markers or something in it. So yes, Angie, she has all my contact information and she does know me, but I don't think it'll ever happen. And she's my age, so I don't expect you know, her to die first and somebody else to take over the company um, and be able to do it. But you never know. Hopefully, if she decides to change her mind, that she will remember me and talk to me and ask me for help. So we'll see. I'll follow up next year at the show again. Just to see, you know, go over very friendly. Hi, Jane. How you doing? You know, saw this, saw that. Any other thoughts about online? You know, so, so. Um, anyway, back to the the pottery guy. It's all hand thrown pottery with a knitting theme. Basically, it looks like knitting, knitted fabric, but it's it's ceramic, and very cool. The guy was a software engineer. Um, And from the Seattle area, and I'm sitting there wondering, I wonder if he worked for Amazon or Microsoft or what, you know? Um, And he said he got tired of being a software engineer and he took up pottery and he's been doing art pottery full time as his living for 10 years. And he said he just got into the point in his studio where he couldn't, his mind was just dead. He couldn't think of new ideas or or anything. He was just meh. So he said, a friend of his said, you need to take up knitting. So he took up knitting, she taught him how to knit, and he got addicted. You know, he was like, then he said he had to make a thing, I will work an hour in the studio and I can knit for five minutes. I'll work an hour in the studio, I can knit for five minutes kind of thing. But then he came up with, with this really cool knitting-inspired um, ceramic ware, And so against my judgment of um, small, light, unbreakable, all kind of thing, I ordered their starter pack of it. It was like three hundred and twenty-five dollars, and has mugs, bowls, and these little tea bag, little plates, all in this cool knitting um, texture motif in really, really elegant colors. So, those were very different. The shape was very different. So, ordered some of those from the guy, um, and he was fine. He was a, he was from India, lived in the states thirty years. He said he came here to go to school, um, and um, one of those guys that just has a great laugh and has lots of fun and I'm sure he ordered you know had tons of orders from the show because it was one of the most talked about products from the show and um, interestingly enough he won't ship till November which means I'm going to miss q4 with these products but you know I figure Mother's Day Valentine's Mother's Day beginning of next year um, that will work so that was another thing that was a little different at this show than most craft shows is there were lots of advanced orders. So especially in the yarn part of it, um, not in the tools and everything that are regular stock, but the yarn stuff, um, people were ordering for September deliveries now, you know, not ordering now to get it shipped right now. So another thing to keep your ears open and listen, and that's I really try to eavesdrop when I'm standing waiting in a booth waiting for somebody. Listen to the conversation, listen to what listen to what's going on, um, so you may pick up some sort of clues about you know what the whole the whole story is at that booth so um, we get all of this cool products you know and between running back and forth to the um, book signings, um, you know, taking a break to sit down somewhere, and boy, my zuka bag came in handy to sit on. Um, this was a show that says no pull bags, you have to push them in front of you, which actually we discovered was way more dangerous for other people than pulling the little bag behind you. So I just ended up pulling it behind me and nobody said anything. It was not a real crowded show at all, which was made it very, very comfortable. Um, but that is something to look at. Some people said they read in their, their packets that no pull bags allowed, so they didn't bring a bag at all, and boy, did they regret it. Because you know the samples you get and the paperwork and everything, we would go up to the hotel room um, twice a day to empty the bag of stuff so we could fill it up again. Um, there was that much stuff to be had, um, and it was also an interesting show in that it was mixed, there was some cash and carry and some no way you know we have one of everything out here in order. order. Um, and most of the shows I've been who have no cash and carry. It's not like ASD that has a whole section of cash and carry. And I didn't want to carry my whole order home anyway. I mean, you know, I've got a suitcase, and that was it. So, um, so that was an interesting thing to see. And we discovered that on the, the third day, which was Monday, the floor was open from 9 to 2. By about 11 o'clock on um, Thursday, or on Monday, excuse me, booths that weren't cash and carry the rest of the week became cash and carry. So if you wanted to buy some yarn or some needles or a a frame or a needlepoint canvas or whatever, or there was lots of tote bags and that kind of thing, like knitting bags and crafty tote bags, they became cash and carry and you could buy them and put your name on them and then go pick them up when the show closed because these people didn't want to take them home, which I think is pretty smart, you know why well, pay to ship them home when you've got warehouses full of it at home um, and um, can, you know, not have to ship and pack and all that kind of stuff. So um, so I, I did find one bag I really, really liked, but somebody else's name was on it. They beat me to it. And I did pick up several skeins of yarn in the cash and carry thing. Like I need more yarn, you know, just, yeah, I really need more yarn. And... Um, so we, um, we did that on the last day. So that's another thing to look at, whether it's stuff to buy um, for your um, shop. Because if you lived in the area, if you had driven to the show, it meant that you could buy things at the wholesale price you know, without having to meet minimums in a lot of cases. That um, they um, only cared about getting rid of it so you could buy a few things to test and see how it goes. You know, say you found a line of, of tote bags that you wanted to try. You could try three of them or even one of them and see if it went before having to invest in that whole minimum order thing. Um, so yeah, Wendy, I got a lot of value at the show. It was, a, it was a really good show, not just product-wise, but I also learned a lot about the whole business part of it. You know, just when you think you know it all, there's more to learn. So that's another thing to look at if you go to a show is look at, cash and carry as a way to test products, not so much to take a whole truckload of stuff home, um, but as a way to test products. Um, the the show itself had an interesting um, format that I'd never seen at another show. Craft and Hobby didn't do it and all that. And it was a thing called Sample It. And on the evening before the show floor opened, um, vendors who chose to participate could set up a mini booth inside a ballroom at the convention center. And people could go in and buy samples of the products. Maybe they made up special kits just for the sample it, you know, a knitting pattern and the yarn for it. Or, you know, they made up specials. Um, there were T-shirts, you know, that had knitting slogans on them. And it did, um, it did give a, a way for you to see the products um, especially for those who were not going to be doing cash and carry if you wanted to buy some stuff for your own use. And basically that's what people were doing, you know, buying stuff that they wanted to use without having to buy a ton for the shop. Um, it was great. We bought a few things there. Um, I learned at it that if you even have an inkling that you would like whatever it is, um, don't say, I'll think about it and come back. Because... I thought about it for like 20 minutes and went back to get it, and they were all sold out. So it's kind of a um, you buy it when you see it kind of thing. There's no thinking going back, um, et cetera so, so that was an interesting thing um, to learn about how that show was set up. So um, about business, I, I learned about, um, again, not and it wasn't new, but it reinforced it that minimum orders are not nearly as big as other coaches would lead you to believe. You know, they say, oh, you need $10,000 to start wholesale. No. I opened accounts with probably half a dozen vendors who had no minimums because you were at the show. And they said, our feeling is if you spend the money to travel to the show, to stay in a hotel and all that, that you're serious you know, that you are not just, you know, wanting to buy one for yourself. So no minimums. I asked, you know, on this woman who made custom needle gauges, what's your opening order? She said one, you know. Um, to be honest, you're not going to just do one if you place an order for products like that, but it gets you in the door. So, so learn, lesson learned reinforce that the minimums are not nearly as big as most people think they are, at least in the craft of the whole world, you know, and that's what I know. And we're talking about now, I've been to shows from everything from gem setting to scrapbooking to knitting, crochet, needlework, all of those, the, the minimums are smaller. Um, there were a couple that had $500 minimums, but that was fine because there was a ton of stuff that I wanted from. One was the, the, um, the company that supplied the needles that I really, really wanted they had a $500 minimum, but that was very easy to do. Um, there were some that had $100 minimum, Some 200 to 250 seemed to be the average. Of those that had minimum orders, that seemed to be the average of where they stood, 200 to $250. Um, so, so it is doable. Um, wholesale is, the I think, the way to grow your business, and I find it hilarious to be getting all these emails now from, from programs and coaches and this and that who are now touting wholesale is the new way to do things. You know, it's a new way. Um, and Angie and Wendy, you can attest that I've been talking wholesale forever as the way to scale an Amazon business. It is the way that you can scale it without having to drive yourself nuts going to 50 Walmarts or hiring people to go to 50 Walmarts are do, or dealing with the, the tax issues, you know, doing, if you are uh, arbitrage at Target, you've got the sales tax and the, the, they are shutting you down, all those things. It's a way to avoid that. And um, yes, the margins can be smaller, but I listen to a lot of podcasts with people who are doing retail arbitrage who are only doubling their money. And I'm at least doing that with wholesale and it's a heck of a lot easier. It really is. It takes mental effort and research instead of physical effort, dragging yourself and your kids maybe to dozens of stores a day. Um, So preaching to the choir, I know, um, because you've kind of taken it on everybody who's here. So um, learning about the business too is that – that the businesses who are in it for the long haul are trying to be more businesslike, but sometimes we as vendors know more than they do about how their business should work. And I take every effort not to tell them what to do, but explain to them, you know, I'm a retailer. From my point of view, if you did X, it would work better. You know, meaning if you took credit cards, because some of them still don't. Or if you had an online order uh, page where I could just reorder when I want to replenish my items, um, then um, it would um, help me a lot. You know, giving them ideas how to make it easier for you to do business with them, which in the end means you, you order more. Um, Wendy, about new innovations, um, there are some new uh, – well, there's new technology in yarn production all the time. Um, but I would say they are refinements, not new innovations. The changes in knitting front come from colors and textures in the yarn and pattern shapes. Um, that's what becomes new, and that's why there's so many yarn companies, you know, exhibiting. Because even if there's a plain old ordinary yarn, you know, basic say knitting worsted weight yarn, the colors have to change, and shop shop owners who sell yarn have to have the latest colors because if you're stuck with the colors of the 80s right now, you're probably not going to do as well. Um, you know, 70s colors are making a comeback, so if you have 70s colors, you may be okay. But anyway, so that's probably the, the innovations. Um, some of the old standby yarns are still old standby yarns because they're, they're classics. And I know you asked about that, um, the two yarns yesterday in the group. One was a winner that, that um, the cashmere, um, yarn. It's been discontinued, and it's a very decent decent prices you're getting for it. The other one was was Lion Brand, which I mentioned earlier. is a It's a yarn that's sold at Joann's and Michaels and um, mainstream craft stores. Not nearly as much um, room for you to get your price on those um, yarns, unless it's somebody who's desperate for the particular dye lot you have. So. I would pass on that one. I would definitely say yes to the cashmere one, depending on the price, of course but uh, but yeah, so innovations also um, in um, knitting is the materials are changing in knitting needles um, and it's all about um, smoothness and speed, the kind of thing, so the the needles are far different even from the needles of twenty years ago. Um, the shape of the points has changed um, to make knitting go faster. The material that the, knitting, the needle itself is um, coated with has changed to become faster and smoother and slicker. Um, so I would, those aren't innovations. I think they are um, just an evolution of the whole process. So, um, so anyway, so that's three of those four people I went to down. So the second day, I hit the fourth one. And this is a company who has been in business. Um, they're from New Zealand and they are a um, spinning and weaving tool company. And those of you in the field now know um, what you could probably find them quite easily, knowing that they were in business since the 30s. Um, and I knew the founder, of, I've known the founder of the company for many years. He comes to the States once a year to a textile conference and is just there keeping his name out. Um, and they had um, a distributor here in the U.S., the same one for like since the 60s. Um, but she retired and a new distributor took over, meaning they are the only company that you can buy this particular line of products for resale. And it's, it's a, probably a mid-range um, group of products, but they're very, very well known and they have massive brand recognition. So I wanted them. So I'm thinking, okay, since she's new, um, it can't hurt to try. So I sent an email to him about six months ago, and I never heard back. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to push this. I'm going to see him at TNNA and talk to them in person. And I didn't realize that it was it was a, a woman running it pretty much on her own with some warehouse staff. So I think good for her. But I found that out after I met her at this show and got to talking, and I explained to her, um, that I had known her products forever and I really wanted to, um, to carry them. And I think she had, a, she had a minimum order. It was quite different. That you had to buy two spinning wheels of different models. And that was the minimum. And then you could add all the other gadgets and accessories and weaving or whatever you want. But, but she said, my thought is I want my store's have two models of spinning wheels, so when someone comes in to try them out, they have two choices, which just makes sense. And um, at this point, I hadn't mentioned the online word yet, but I'm I'm like, okay, I'm like going to be backed into a corner now because she says, on display in your store, right? It's like, oh my gosh, no. So um, so we start filling out the form, and she says, now are you in a retail storefront or a home-based business? And then I knew, busted, busted. So I had to say, I'm home-based and I'm online only and holding my breath. And she goes, oh, okay. And she says, I need to check something. We have a policy that we can't have an online vendor who is within 50 miles of a brick-and-mortar store. And I'm like, okay, what are the odds of that happening, that there is a brick-and-mortar store within 50 miles of me that carries this brand of spinning wheels? So I think... Okay, so she gets out her dealer locator thing on the website and types in my zip code. and um, I knew there was a, a shop in Idaho Falls, which is a two-hour drive, so it's driving wise, it's a little over a hundred miles over you know, big mountain pass and all that. And I'm thinking, okay, I hope her thing doesn't show it being closer than fifty miles. So she types it in, and it came out seventy two miles, so I'm guessing it does it as the crow flies kind of thing instead of actual driving. And she says it is a um, – the store is a – it's home-based, but she has regular hours, and she has a separate entrance and all that kind of thing. So she considers that a standalone store in Idaho Falls. So, so I met the, the 72 Miles got me the account because um, I was over 50 miles away. So I got all the information from her, and I said, I will go to my hotel room tonight and place an order. And um, – all the catalogs and all the paperwork and my friend who went with me she teaches spinning all over the country that's what she's known for she's really really well known for teaching spinning so she's a perfect person to ask what is a new spinner gonna want in the way of wheels and um so we went through and we got ordered the two wheels and ordered a ton of accessories and things like weaving shuttles and drop spindles and um, she had felting kits and all of that, and it was a decent order. It came to like fifteen hundred dollars, um, and I brought it. What, next morning, I w- had it all written out and brought it back to her. And she goes, "Oh, I just love vendors who are so organized." She's like, "Yay!" Um, gave it to her. She filled out the form, and and I said, "Now, no, I said, um, do you want you know payment now? How do you work?" She says, "No, we're really old-fashioned. We'll send you an email with the total, and it will be." UPS COD, but we pay the UPS fee, so you just need to have a check for the UPS guy. I'm like, oh my God, that really is old fashioned, you know, where she could have had a credit card immediately. Um, but anyway, so I got that. So I got three of the four that I went for, which I think is pretty darn good. Um, considering my, my uphill battle and your uphill battle, um, it will be that we are online only vendors. Um, that is going to be the hardest thing for us to have to deal with, um, no matter what show you go to. Um, they did, this last vendor has map pricing, and they have a lot of their stuff on Amazon, but none of it was FBA. I went through the whole list of stuff I wanted to order, and none of it was FBA. So, um, so they had to meet the map pricing, and then these people, the Merchant Fulfilled people added shipping and handling on it. So I think I can do just fine price-wise. Even with two spinning wheels, I know how their stuff comes packaged. So I know it can go to Amazon quite easily. Um, they're flat-packed. They do have to be put together. Um, and that's one of the things that they're known for is their price, the cost of a spinning wheel is lower from them because you have to assemble it. Um, so so that, I, I felt like that was a big success that I got three of the four that I wanted, even against the local yarn shop kind of thing. Um, I went to a, retail, a luncheon that was a panel discussion about you know retailing in this field. And boy, that's where the negativity about online stores came out. I mean, one person just flat out said, as local yarn shop owners, we hate online stores. All they do is steal business from us. And she was just on this tirade. And I wanted to say, you know, I don't think so because if i had a really nice uh local yarn store i would go there to buy it because they have the opportunity to teach to you know have classes they can have samples made up of how the stuff looks you know all this kind of stuff that that they have a huge advantage of over us online retailers cuz people can touch the stuff and crafting is a touchy feely thing so you know i just kind of i kept my mouth shut i was like so no i'm not getting into this you know you don't need to know what I do or anything kind of thing. And and there's this kind of also this um, one woman said, all the online retailers do is have to throw up a website and just sit back and collect the money. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Like sales tax nexus issues don't enter into it or all that kind of stuff, you know. Amazon feedback issues, dealing with Amazon sellers support doesn't enter into it. No, we just, we just sit back and, and rake in the money, you know. It's like, okay, you know. There's a lot of sour grapes um, and a lot of anger. Um, so just if you start talking to vendors, just be aware it might be there from other retailers and maybe some pushback from, from the wholesalers you're trying to contact. But, um, but I think the takeaway is there are ways around it. In three of the four cases, one I couldn't do, and I asked my friend who went with me to the one I couldn't do, I said, what could I have done better? And she says, "Not nothing. She, wasn't, she just wasn't going to do it no matter what. If you'd have guaranteed a million dollars a month in sales, she wasn't going to do it. So, so, so remember when you're talking to the wholesalers that, that it has to be a win-win for both of you, for one thing. It can't be all one-sided. And there are ways around the no wholesaler or no online seller kind of rule that some of them have. You know, in the case of that one, it was bundling, or as he called it, kitting, because that's the word they use in knitting stuff. If you're going to make kits, that's fine. Um, Some have said no because they had a bad employee. That was the second one. The case was it was obvious that that wasn't their intention. They just had an employee who I'm sure is no longer with them. Um, The third one, it was purely based on location. So um, for her, it really didn't matter as long as there was no brick and mortar store within 50 miles of you. Um, and to be honest, I bet a lot of you would fit into that classification. First of all, 50 miles isn't that far. And second of all, if it's in a niche, you know, what are the odds? And then the last one, nothing was going to work. So, so I guess the takeaway was we just have to be creative in approaching wholesalers and finding a way, for whatever reason, that works for you. Um, and that works for them and gets gets the job done. So you may have to compromise as to what you do, and they may have to move a little from their their position on online retailers. But um, I'm thinking if it can be done in the knitting field, it can be done pretty much anywhere. So. Um, uh, the show for me was a real success in finding products, so I will definitely be going to the Washington, D.C. DC show, um, God willing, um, even though it's going to be a real expensive show. I looked at the hotels right around the convention center. There's sat and they're running $400 a night plus. Oh, my gosh. So this is not a place to go and just you know, spend a few extra days just goofing around. It's like do business, get out, one day of sightseeing, be done. You know, I've been to Washington enough that I'm okay without doing a ton of sightseeing. But, but you know, doubling the hotel cost means you really have to be much more um, careful in how you spend your money. So um, Elizabeth, one thing I want to tell you is there was a booth at um, this show that you would know very well. They carry one of the product lines I suggested you carry for the um, St. Patrick's Day stuff. They had a whole, they had their whole product lines there at um this show, and there's a lot of stuff in them I mean good grief, and the guy was very very nice too um which was which was nice to see. I love it when somebody has a nice product and they're nice people too. Um, for the most part, the crafting world, the people the people are really nice. So, so yeah, Elizabeth, I would do some more research in that company. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say the name here, but um, if you want to email me or whatever, um, I've got the guy's contact information too, who imports the stuff directly from, from the UK. So there you go. Um, I still think, I know Angie doesn't really want to go to trade shows. Um, and I know a lot of people are afraid. And, I have to tell you, that's perfectly fine and normal to be afraid. I get butterflies in my stomach too, especially the ones I really, really wanted. The more I wanted it, the more my stomach kind of did the little things, you know. Um, So I don't want you to not go to shows because you're nervous or afraid. Um, In the vast majority of cases, vendors want to sell to you. And those who don't, if the product is so important to you that you just have to have it, 75% of the time, based on my numbers from this one, you'll be able to do it. And that's, that's pretty good numbers. I mean, it's better than even money, that you'll do, you'll do okay. Um, and Elizabeth is 1,000% right. 99% of the people in the booth at these shows were nice, just plain old nice people who were happy you were interested in their products. And um, different shows will have different percentages, but I can guarantee you, you will find more nice people than not nice people. And there's one big reason for it. Nice people sell more stuff. And that company, if they're sending somebody to a trade show to sell their stuff, odds are they're going to send a nice person who, wants, who will sell more stuff than the grouch who doesn't want to talk to anybody. So don't let that fear... Um, keep you, Angie. You're close enough that you can find some shows around you. I'm going to help you find a small one that you can get to to get your feet wet. And you don't even have to go buy anything at it. Just go so you get the experience. If anybody else um, wants some help in finding a, let's call it a starter show or a kindergarten show or something that's a real trade show but not so overwhelming that you are terrified to go, please send a message in the Toddler Show. <laughs> yeah, Toddler Show. Yeah, those first steps. Put a message in a Facebook group and I will be more than happy, happy to help you research shows and find something that you can go to to get your feet wet and learn from, from it. Um, as I said, even if you don't buy anything, if it's one you can drive to, do the show in a day and get back home without having to do hotels, it is well worth your time. Um, it's a business education in how the, the vendors work, what they expect, um, you know, even just what kind of forms they have to fill out to open a new account. They're, everybody's different, but the, the two things that were, like, well, besides name and address, that were consistent on, on those is they wanted an email address to contact you, and all they needed was your resale number from your state. Um, one asked for an EIN. Um, that was one of the big ones, um, the big three that I got. They wanted the EIN, but that's, you guys should have that anyway, so you are good to go. Nobody asked for anything more. Um, one said if you want terms, meaning you want X number of days to pay the invoice, they had a credit application to fill out, um, which I think I probably will do because that will buy, t- buy me time to pay the bill but the vast majority of them just will bill your credit card when you order. Um, which, oh, reminds me of one other thing. And I learned this from um, listening to somebody else at the very first booth I was in. Um, lots of these shows the people have the square or the PayPal swipe thingy. Do you guys know what I mean? The little white square thing where they can take your credit card on their phone or their iPad. A lot of them have that. Um, especially ones who are going to ship right away. Um, but a lot of them didn't. Um, a lot of them wanted to write down your credit card number on their paperwork. Um, and this woman I overheard, she says, you know, I stopped giving out my credit card number to be written down two shows ago because some paper got lost and somebody got a hold of my number, et cetera, et etc. She says, now what I do is I just ask them to call me when they're back in their office and I will give them the number on the phone. That means the paper isn't in a booth. It's not having to get on an airplane. It's not in luggage. It's from you to the thing. And I thought that was really, really smart. Um, so I did that. If they didn't have a square thing to swipe, um, swipe the um, um, card, I said just call me. And there was no pushback from anybody. They said, sure, and they just wrote on their call for credit card number. So that was one that I learned from eavesdropping on somebody, that um, there wasn't any pushback from the vendors that, oh, no, well, we can't do that. They kind of understood um, that um, that it was an issue. And um, also, um, if they weren't going to be shipping within a week or two, I did um, ask you aren 't going to charge my card until you ship, right you know um, when they so when they call, I will reiterate that, but please do not charge until you ship because you don 't want to have to be paying around paying for the money or the paying the money for the product when you don 't have it yet so um, Wendy, I will work on that. Wendy has a great idea, a cheat sheet of all the reasons why vendors um, either want to sell the online or don't. That's a really, really good idea. Um, It may take a while to to do it and write it up, but I will work on that. Um, I think that could be really, really valuable for everybody Um, to kind of review before you walk in um, a show or even talk to a vendor on a phone or through email or whatever to figure out what you can do to convince them. And and I can come up with a dozen reasons they say, but... um, I also have reasons why they should too, so thank you for the idea. that's really great so so that's a way, yeah, yeah, and it'd only be for this group. I wouldn't share it anywhere else no uh uh uh, uh-uh. because uh-uh, uh-uh. it's too valuable of information. It's like you know giving you a script is what it is, you know so um, yeah, it would only be for our group. Um, so I will work on that. Um, so does anybody have any questions about the show? Um, Things that I brought up that you need clarifying, um, Andy, You're going to do a toddler show. I know Elizabeth's done show, uh, done trade shows, um, and she did. She found some cool stuff. Um, I don't. Wendy, you probably have because you live in New York, so you go to Jacob Javits Center all the time and go to shows. But well, If you want help on it, finding another show. Um, oh, cool! To Atlanta. Angie, Well, post it in the group, Angie, if you remember it, because now that I'm back, um, I won't be ignoring you guys for a week like I did. Um, I have to say I have the utmost respect for Beth in our group. I do not know how she manages to travel as much as she does and keep on top of her business, because I couldn't do it. Even though I was traveling on my business, she's traveling for work and keeping on top of her business. She, oh, she, she's awesome. Um, I find it very, very difficult to work in a hotel room at night um, for some reason. I find it really hard to just focus, you know. And I don't know how she does it. So bravo to her. So we're going to be planning on doing a travel show um, when we can get schedules worked up um, where we talk about travel hacks, for want of a better word, ways to make travel easier. Um, even if it's just you know taking a day trip to um, somewhere for a day show there's things you can do to make it easier so that's one thing that, that we're going to offer um, and um, hopefully we can get Beth to, um, to really talk about how she gets her mind around the focusing kind of thing to be you know on a plane five days a week and still manage to do that. I just find it amazingly awesome that, that she can. Um, even though I've flown a lot. I know I, I don't fly as much anymore as I used to. I'm guessing she probably puts in six figures in mileage a year easily, um, which is pretty amazing. Um, so we'll look at the travel show. will also include um, just, I think a lot of the mental focusing stuff I want to include too. So anyway, that's coming up. Um, I want you to post questions in the Facebook group, and I want you to start doing research for a trade show you can attend, not having to travel a long way, but just something you can find that's doable in a day. Um, And we'll get working on that. And I will work on the um, cheat sheet that Wendy brought up. I think that's a genius idea. So if there's no other questions, we will call this a day. Get back to work. I have tons of orders that came in while I was gone. I have to process because I don't want to lose that momentum. I didn't ship for a whole week and that makes me really nervous that like in two weeks things are like really going to be slow. So I will get to processing. I want you guys to work on your business today. And thanks for taking the time to join me. It was really fun to share all the exciting things about the show. Um, I really enjoyed it. So have a great day and I'll see you on Facebook. Bye-bye everybody.